The Halfling's Gem, Chapter 13, Paying the Piper The docks rolled away beyond sight in either direction. The sails of a thousand ships speckled the pale blue waters of the shining sea, and it would take them hours to walk the breadth of the city before them, no matter which gate they sought. Calimport, the largest city in all the realms, was a sprawling conglomeration of shanties and massive temples, of tall towers springing from plains of low wooden houses. This was the hub of the southern coast, a vast marketplace several times the area of Waterdeep. And Trary moved Regis off the docks and into the city. The halfling offered no resistance. He was too caught up in the striking emotions that the unique smells, sights, and sounds of the city brought over him. Even his terror at the thought of facing Pasha Pook became buried in the jumble of memories invoked by his return to his former home. He had spent his entire childhood here as an orphaned waif, sneaking meals on the streets and sleeping curled up beside the trash fires the other bums had set in the alleys on chilly nights. But Regis had an advantage over the other vagabonds in Calimport. Even as a young lad, he had undeniable charm and a lucky streak that always seemed to land him on his feet. The grubby bunch he'd run with just shook their heads knowingly on the day their halfling comrade had taken in with one of the many brothels of the city. The ladies showed Regis much kindness, letting him do minor cleaning and cooking tasks in exchange for a high lifestyle that his old friends could only watch with envy. Recognizing the charismatic halfling's potential, the ladies even introduced Regis to the man who would become his mentor and who would mold him into one of the finest thieves the city had ever known, Pasha Pook. The name came back to Regis like a slap in the face, reminding him of the terrible reality he now faced. He had been Pook's favorite little cutpurse, the guildmaster's pride and joy, but that would only make things worse for Regis now. Pook would never forgive him for his treachery. Then a more vivid recollection took Regis's legs out from under him as Entreri turned him down Rogue's circle. At the far end, around the cul-de-sac and facing back toward the entrance to the lane, stood a plain-looking wooden building with a single unremarkable door. But Regis knew the splendors hidden within that unpretentious facade. And the horrors. Entreri grabbed him by the collar and dragged him along, never slowing the pace. Now, Drizzt, now... Regis whispered, praying that his friends were about and ready to make a desperate last-minute rescue. But Regis knew that his prayers would not be answered this time. He had finally gotten himself stuck in the mud too deeply to escape. Two guards disguised as bums moved in front of the pair as they approached the door, and Trary said nothing but shot them a murderous stare. Apparently, the guards recognized the assassin. One of them stumbled out of the way, tripping over his own feet while the other rushed to the door and rapped loudly. A peephole opened, and the guard whispered something to the doorman inside. A split second later, the door swung wide. Looking in on the thieves' guild proved too much for the halfling. Blackness swirled about him, and he fell limp in the assassin's iron grasp, showing neither emotion nor surprise. And Trary scooped Regis up over his shoulder and carried him like a sack into the guildhouse and down the flight of stairs beyond the door. Two more guards moved in to escort him, but Entreri pushed his way past them. It had been three long years since Pook had sent him on the road after Regis, but the assassin knew the way. He passed through several rooms down another level and then started up a long spiral staircase. Soon, he was up the street level again and still climbing to the highest chambers of the structure. Regis regained consciousness in a dizzy blur, 
He glanced about desperately as the images came clearer and he remembered where he was. And Trary had him by the ankles, the halfling's head dangling halfway down the assassin's back and his hand just inches from the jeweled dagger. But even if he had gotten to the weapon quickly enough, Regis knew that he had no chance of escape, not with Trary holding him, two armed guards following and curious eyes glaring at them from every doorway. The whispers had traveled through the guild faster than Entreri. Regis hooked his chin around Entreri's side and managed to catch a glimpse of what lay ahead. They came up onto a landing, where four more guards parted without question, opening the way down a short corridor that ended in an ornate, iron-bound door. Pasha Pook's door. The blackness swirled over Regis once again. When he entered the chamber, Entreri found that he had been expected— Pook sat comfortably on his throne, the Val by his side and his favorite leopard at his feet, and none of them flinched at the sudden appearance of the two long-lost associates. The assassin and the guildmaster stared silently at each other for a long time, and Trary studied the man carefully. He hadn't expected so formal a meeting. Something was wrong, and Trary pulled Regis off of his shoulder and held him out, still upside down at arm's length, as if presenting a trophy. Convinced that the halfling was oblivious to the world at the moment, Entreri released his hold, letting Regis drop heavily to the floor. That drew a chuckle from Pook. It has been a long three years, the guildmaster said, breaking the tension. Entreri nodded. I told you at the outset that this one might take time. The little thief ran to the corners of the world. But... Not beyond your grasp, eh? Pook said, somewhat sarcastically. You have performed your task excellently, as always, Master Antreri. Your reward shall be as promised. Pook sat back on his throne again and resumed his distant posture, rubbing a finger over his lips and eyeing Antreri suspiciously. And Jerry didn't have any idea why Pook, after so many difficult years and a successful completion of the mission, would treat him so badly. Regis had eluded the guildmaster's grip for more than half a decade before Pook finally sent Entreri on the chase. With that record preceding him, Entreri did not think three years such a long time to complete the mission. And the assassin refused to play such cryptic games. If there is a problem, speak it he said bluntly. There was a problem, Pook replied mysteriously, emphasizing the past tense of his statement. And Trevi rocked back a step, now fully at a loss, one of the very few times in his life. Regis stirred at that moment and managed to sit up, but the two men, engaged in the important conversation, paid him no attention. You were being followed, Pook explained, knowing better than to play a teasing game for too long with the killer. Friends of the Huffling. Regis's ears perked up. And Trary took a long moment to consider his response. He guessed what Pook was getting at, and it was easy for him to figure out that Oberon must have informed the guildmaster of more than his return with Regis. He made a mental note to visit the wizard the next time he was in Baldur's Gate, to explain to Oberon the proper limits of spying and the proper restraints of loyalty. No one ever crossed Artemis and Trary twice. It does not matter, Pook said, seeing no answer forthcoming. They will bother us no more. Regis felt sick. This was the Southland, 
the home of Pasha Pook. If Pook had learned of his friend's pursuit, he certainly could have eliminated them. And Trieri understood that too. He fought to maintain his calm while a burning rage reared up inside him. I tend to my own affairs, he growled at Pook, his tone confirming to the guildmaster that he had indeed been playing a private game with his pursuers. And I to mine, Pook shot back, straightening in his chair. I know not what connection this elf and barbarian hold to you and Trary, but they had nothing to do with my pendant. He collected himself quickly and sat back, realizing that the confrontation was getting too dangerous to continue. I could not take the risk. The tension eased out of Entreri's taut muscles. He did not wish a war with Pook, and he could not change what had passed. How? he asked. Pirates, Pook replied. Pinochet owed me a favor. It is confirmed. Why do you care? Pook asked. You are here. The halfling is here. My pen... He stopped suddenly, realizing that he hadn't yet seen the ruby pendant. Now it was Pook's turn to sweat and wonder. It is confirmed. And Trerry asked again, making no move toward the magical pendant that hung concealed about his neck. Not yet, Pook stammered. But three ships were sent after the one. There can be no doubt. And Trerry hid his smile. He knew the powerful drow and barbarian well enough to consider them alive until their bodies had been paraded before him. Yes, there can indeed be doubt, he whispered under his breath as he pulled the ruby pendant over his head and tossed it to the guildmaster. Pook caught it in his trembling hands, knowing immediately from its familiar tingle that it was the true gem. What power he would wield now! With the magical ruby in his hands, Artemis and Trary returned to his side, and Rassiter's were-rats under his command, he would be unstoppable. Laval put a steadying hand on the guildmaster's shoulder. Pook, beaming in anticipation of his growing power, looked up at him. "'Your reward shall be as promised,' Pook said again to Entreri, as soon as he had caught his breath. "'And more,' Entreri bowed. "'Well met, then, Pasha Pook,' he replied. "'It is good to be home.' "'Concerning the elf and the barbarian,' Pook said, "'suddenly entertaining second thoughts about ever mistrusting the assassin, "'and Trerry stopped him with his outstretched palms. "'A watery grave serves them as well as Calimport's sewers,' he said. "'Let us not worry about what is behind us.' Pook's smile engulfed his round face. Agreed, and well met, then, he beamed, especially when there is such pleasurable business ahead of us. He turned an evil eye upon Regis, but the halfling, sitting stooped over on the floor beside Entreri, didn't notice. Regis was still trying to digest the news of his friends. At that moment, he didn't care how their deaths might affect his own future or lack of one. He only cared that they were gone. First Bruner in Mithril Hall, then Drizzt and Wolfgar, and possibly Caterbury as well. Next to that, Pasha Pook's threats seemed hollow indeed. What could Pook ever do to him that would hurt him as much as these losses? Many sleepless nights I have spent fretting over the disappointment that you have caused me, Pook said to Regis. 
and many more I have spent considering how I would repay you. The door swung open, interrupting Pook's train of thought. The guildmaster did not have to look up to know who had dared enter without permission. Only one man in the guild would have such a nerve. Rassiter swept into the room and cut an uncomfortable close circle as he inspected the newcomers. Greetings, Pook, he said offhandedly, his eyes locking onto the assassin's stern gaze. Pook said nothing, but dropped his chin into his hand to watch. He had anticipated the meeting for a long time. Rassiter stood nearly a foot taller than Entreri, a fact that only added to the Werat's already cocky attitude. Like so many simpleton bullies, Rassiter often confused size with strength, and looking down at this man who was a legend on the streets of Calumport, and thus his rival, made him think that he had already gained the upper hand. So, you are the great Artemis Centreri, he said, contempt evident in his voice. And Trary didn't blink. Murder was in his eyes as his gaze followed Rassiter, who still circled. Even Regis was dumbfounded at the stranger's boldness. No one ever moved so casually around Entreri. Greetings, Rassiter said at length, satisfied with his scan. He bowed low. I am Rassiter, Pashapuk's closest advisor and controller of the docks. Still, Entreri did not respond. He looked over to Pook for an explanation. The guildmaster returned Entreri's curious gaze with a smirk and lifted his palms in a helpless gesture. Rassiter carried his familiarity even further. You and I, he half whispered to Entreri, we can do great things together. He started to place a hand on the assassin's shoulder, but Entreri turned him back with an icy glare, a look so deadly that even cocky Rassiter began to understand the peril of his course. You may find that I have much to offer you, Rassiter said, taking a cautious step back. Seeing no response forthcoming, he turned to Pook. Would you like me to take care of your little thief? He asked, grinning his yellow smile. This one is mine, Rassiter, Pook said firmly. You and yours keep your furry hands off of him. Antreri did not miss the reference. Of course. Rassiter replied, I have business then. I will be going. He bowed quickly and spun to leave, meeting Entreri's eyes one final time. He could not hold that icy stare, could not match the sheer intensity of the assassin's gaze with his own. Rassiter shook his head in disbelief as he passed, convinced that Entreri still had not blinked. You were gone. My pendant was gone, Pook explained when the door closed again. Rassiter has helped me retain, even expand, the strength of the guild. He's a were-rat, Entreri remarked, as if that fact alone ended any argument. Head of their guild, Pook replied, but they are loyal enough and easy to control. He held up the ruby pendant. Easier now. Entreri had trouble coming to terms with that even in light of Pook's futile attempts at an explanation. He wanted time to consider the new development, to figure out just how many things had changed around the guildhouse. My room? he asked. Laval shifted uncomfortably and glanced down at Pook. I, I, I have been using it, the wizard stammered, but quarters are being built for me. 
he looked to the door, newly cut into the wall between the harem and Entreri's old room. They should be completed any day. I can get out of your room in minutes. No need, Entreri replied, thinking the arrangements better as they were. He wanted some space from Pook for a while, anyway, to better assess the situation before him and plan his next moves. I will find a room below where I might better understand the new ways of the guild. Laval relaxed with an audible sigh, and Trerry picked Regis up by the collar. What am I to do with this one? Pook crossed his arms over his chest and cocked his head. I have thought of a million tortures befitting your crime, he said to Regis. Too many, I see, for truly I have no idea of how to properly repay you for what you have done to me. He looked back to Entreri. No matter, he chuckled. It will come to me. Put him in the cells of nine. Regis went limp again at the mention of the infamous dungeon, Pook's favorite holding cell. It was a horror chamber normally reserved for thieves who killed other members of the guild. And Trevi smiled to see the halfling so terrified at the mere mention of the place. He easily lifted Regis off the floor and carried him out of the room. That did not go well, Laval said when Entreri had left. It went splendidly, Pook disagreed. I have never seen Rassiter so unnerved, and the sight of it proved infinitely more pleasurable than I had imagined. Entreri will kill him if he's not careful, Laval observed grimly. Pook seemed amused by the thought. Then we would learn who is likely to succeed Rassiter. He looked up at Laval. Fear not, my friend. Rassiter is a survivor. He has called the streets his home for his entire life and knows how to scurry to safety of shadows. He will learn his place around Antreri and he will show the assassin proper respect. But Laval wasn't thinking of Rassiter's safety. He had often entertained thoughts of disposing of the wretched were-rat himself. What concerned the wizard was the possibility of a deeper rift in the guild. What if Rassiter turns the power of the Allies against Entreri? He asked in a tone even more grim. The street war that would ensue would split the guild in half. Pook dismissed the possibility with a wave of his hand. Even Rassiter is not that stupid he answered, fingering the ruby pendant, an insurance policy he might just need. Laval relaxed, satisfied with his master's assurances and with Pook's ability to handle a delicate situation. As usual, Pook was right, Laval realized, and Trary had unnerved the were-rat with a simple stare to the possible benefit of all involved. Perhaps now, Rassida would act more appropriately for his rank in the guild, and, with Entreri soon to be quartered on this very level, perhaps the intrusions of the filthy whereat would come less often. Yes, it was good to have Entreri back. The cells of nine were so named because of the nine cells cut into the center of the chamber's floor, three abreast and three long. Only the center cell was ever unoccupied. The other eight held Pasha Pook's most treasured collection, great hunting cats from every corner of the realms. And Trary handed Regis over to the jailer, a masked giant of a man, then stood back to watch the show. 
Around the halfling, the jailer tied one end of a heavy rope, which made its way over the pulley in the ceiling above the center cell, then back to a crank off to the side. Untie it when you're in! The jailer grunted at Regis. He pushed Regis forward. Pick your path! Regis walked gingerly along the border of the outer cells. They all were roughly ten feet square with caves cut into the walls where the cats would go to rest. But none of the beasts rested now. It all seemed equally hungry. They were always hungry. Regis chose the plank between a white lion and a heavy tiger, thinking those two giants the least likely to scale the twenty-foot wall and claw his ankle out from under him as he crossed. He slipped one foot onto the wall, which was barely four inches wide, separating the cells, and then hesitated, terrified. The jailer gave him a prompting tug on the rope that nearly toppled Regis in with the lion. Reluctantly, he started out, concentrating on placing one foot in front of the other and trying to ignore the growls and claws below. He'd nearly made the center cell when the tiger launched its full weight against the wall, shaking it violently. Regis overbalanced and tumbled in with a shriek. The jailer pulled the crank and caught him in mid-fall, hoisting him just out of the leaping tiger's reach. Regis swung into the far wall, bruising his ribs but not even feeling the injury at that desperate moment. He scrambled over the wall and swung free, eventually stopping over the middle of the center cell where the jailer let him down. He put his feet to the floor tentatively and clutched the rope as his only possible salvation, refusing to believe that he must stay in this nightmarish place. Untie it! The jailer demanded, and Regis knew by the man's tone that to disobey was to suffer unspeakable pain. He slipped the rope free. Sleep well, the jailer laughed, pulling the rope high out of the halfling's reach. The hooded man left with Entreri extinguishing all the room's torches and slamming the iron door behind him, leaving Regis alone in the dark with eight hungry cats. The walls separating the cat's cells were solid, preventing the animals from harming each other. But the center cell was lined with wide bars, wide enough for a cat to put his paws through. And this torture chamber was circular, providing easy and equal access from all eight of the other cells. Regis did not dare to move. The rope had placed him in the exact center of the cell, the only spot that kept him out of reach of all eight cats. He glanced around at the feline eyes, gleaming wickedly in the dim light. He heard the scraping of lunging claws and even felt a swoosh of air whenever one of them managed to squeeze enough leg through the bars to get a close swipe. And each time a huge paw slammed into the floor beside him, Regis had to remind himself not to jump back, where another cat waited. Five minutes seemed like an hour, and Regis shuddered to think of how many days Pook would mean to keep him there. Maybe it would be better just to get it over with, Regis thought a notion that many shared when placed in this chamber. Looking at the cats, though, the halfling dismissed that possibility. Even if he could convince himself that a quick death in the tiger's jaws would be better than the fate he had no doubt faced, he would never have found the courage to try it, though. He was a survivor, had always been, and he couldn't deny that stubborn side of his character that refused to yield no matter how bleak his future seemed. He stood now, as still as a statue, and consciously worked to fill his mind with thoughts of his recent past, of the ten years he had spent outside Calimport, many adventures he had seen on his travels, many perils he'd come through. 
Regis replayed those battles and escapes over and over in his mind, trying to recapture the sheer excitement he had experienced, active thoughts that would keep him alive and awake. For if weariness overtook him and he fell to the floor, some part of him might get too close to one of the cats. More than one prisoner had been clawed in the foot and dragged to the side to be ripped apart. And even those who survived the cells of nine would never forget the ravenous stares of those sixteen gleaming eyes.